0: Greetings and welcome to the BH Photography Podcast. Today we're going to be asking the question, What is photography? And to help us analyze this thorny question, we are joined by photographer and art historian Corey Rice. Corey, along with our very own John Harris, launched a portrait project earlier this year with that very same name, and the results of that collaboration are now published on the BH Explorer website. We'll supply the links to this series in our show notes, but a quick Google of BH and Explorer will take you to our homepage. We will discuss with Corey the making of the series. We will also intersperse some comments on the subject taken from a recent What Is Photography artist panel held in conjunction with the exhibition at the Hasselblad Gallery. And toward the end of the episode, we'll speak with Stanley Sterl, the winner of our Lumix Day sweepstakes, to see how he's enjoying his brand new Panasonic gx 85 and 2 lenses. But first, welcome to Corey Rice. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Early last year, John and Corey started kicking around the idea of asking photographers and creative types associated with photography, what is photography? They spoke with artists, curators, academics, editors, and many photographers, 40 in all, and their responses represent a spectrum of thought on the topic all equally fascinating. As visual compliments to the responses, Corey captured interpretive portraits of each of the participants. The words of the subjects and Corey's portraits are a wonderful tandem. The project culminated last month with a show of black and white portraits and accompanying quotes at the Hasselblad Experience Studio located in Lower Manhattan. The show and the opening were even better than I had anticipated, and now the series is being published on the B&H Explorer site and is scheduled to exhibit a few more times in the coming months, but we'll let Corey tell us all about that. So anyway, I don't know, less than a year ago, you guys started kicking around this idea about what is photography and a series about that. Corey, tell us the seeds of this thing and a little bit of outline how it all happened.
1: Well, John, of course, has been working on the podcast, and I had been doing a few artist interviews for Explora, and we had the idea of making a project about photography where we could bring in artists, sit them down, talk to them, and then make a portrait of them and sort of bring those two ideas together and create a sort of ongoing series and maybe learn something about photography.
0: Was your goal to create a portrait that would reflect the comments or were they just always going to be independent?
1: No. In really in the process, a lot of times we didn't get the comment until after. So it was when we were making the portraits, I mean, there's a little bit of inspiration from the artist's work or the person's background or field. Uh, we asked participants to bring in objects if they wanted to uh, relative to what they were thinking about photography. So sometimes you had uh, for example, Sam Cannon brought in one of a uh, sculptural work that she had done. Uh, Eleanor Carucci brought in her daughter. Her work is about family. Right. Um, other times it, it was more engaging with the person and sort of seeing what their personality was like. We got some surprises along the way with that.
0: Um, Any disappointments?
1: No, never That's a oh good. No, I was, I was just,
0: you know Because it's interesting. There are a lot of creative times you put you – know, you ask them to speak about their work, and there's really nothing to say. You don't always have a personality behind even incredible work.
1: Right. Well, we uh, – I would say, you know, I was a little bit surprised – maybe not so surprised by the fact that there were a lot of photographers that as soon as they were on the other side of the camera got a little bit uncomfortable. But
2: I can uh-huh. be sympathetic to that. <laughs> yeah. And there are a few people who this idea – what is – well, I remember – I forget who it was. I think Alexander Porter. When I reached out to him about this subject, he said, "You know, well, you know, that's a question that plagues me 24 hours a day." So for them, this is kind of their stock and trade: answering this kind of question. And he, he's more of a theoretical guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I thought that some of them were a little uncomfortable trying to be nailed down to one answer, you know. But uh, we kind of worked it out of them. In some cases, you know, we had a kind of pull and 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 like the interview process, we they generally took place during the, the photo shoots. So Corey would be f- shooting somebody and I would be speaking to somebody else. And we had sometimes half an hour or an hour-long interview. And from that, we were able to pull out sometimes just <laughs> like a one-line quote. But uh, but the conversations were great in general. Was
0: anybody groveling with an answer to that? Because it's, it's kind of a hard thing. It is a hard thing to answer.
2: Yeah, um, yeah I would say that some people it, took them... A half an hour of conversation to get to the answer, it it seemed like, or something they were comfortable with. And other people came completely prepared, like with a statement written out or one line, something they had, you could tell they had thought about that for a long time and were really ready to give that answer. So, yeah, it it crossed the, you know, it was a complete spectrum.
1: I think by the end of it, you got pretty good at teasing it out of people.
2: Yeah, you did. I I mean, you had had to, like, there was a couple, yeah, you learn your little tricks, you know, I suppose. Sometimes I just, we talk about something and then just drop, drop it in on them, you know, (laughs) but, uh, but other people were great. They, or they would send me something ahead of time, you know, and, and a few people sent long, you know, several paragraphs with context and, and, and we edited it down, but it was great.
1: And I think that that's another important thing to mention about the project is that in many cases, it's not just one quote. But if you go onto the Explorer webpage and you click through and see, you get the extended quote. So it's a little bit, you know, not a one-liner in many cases, but maybe like a paragraph or so.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Now, you were very consistent through this entire project. You you worked in a the same studio with the same backdrop, the same camera and lens. Give us a little bit of background into that.
1: Well, so, conceptually, before we get into the, the nitty-gritty of the, the equipment that we were working with, we knew that we were going to be shooting over the course of a couple of months. So, working over a long period of time and with a lot of different people, we wanted to keep something distinct in the project so that when you looked at the images... they had to be um, a consistency. To right. It. Yes. So, what we decided to do is we said, well, you know, let's shoot for the stars. Let's get the best of the best that we can work with. And so we were shooting with um, Hasselblad's H-series cameras for all of the portraits. Um, The first shoot, we had one of their 100 megapixel sensors, and then for the rest, we had a 50 megapixel sensor. Uh, We got a backdrop from Oliphant Studios over in Bushwick. So we got them to loan that to us for the duration of the, the project. So we had that... We made a point of having it in every single image. So even if it's just a little sliver in the shot, uh, it's there in every single one. So we wanted to keep that sort of consistent. And uh, we shot everything in uh, highlight studios. So this was a incredible studio, uh, north-facing light. It's like shooting in a greenhouse. It's just beautiful light everywhere. And that made things really easy.
0: By the way, you know, <laughs> back, back if you turn back the clock over 100 years, all the photo studios in Manhattan were essentially – in the spaces like you were working in, mm-hmm. a top floor with a huge, you know, slanted window facing—that was the light. That was the studio.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of what we were sort of aiming for, and it, it, kind of continuing with that, we ended up making all of the images black and white. So it adds to that sort of thinking back to the history of portrait photography and portrait studios. Um, and yeah, we're, the, the light was great.
0: <laughs> that's yeah. One thing I want to ask you about. It is all black and white and a mm-hmm. lovely and it's a consistency to it. It really holds together as as, as a, a unit. Were you ever, were you always black and white oriented towards this? Because you know, shooting with the hostile blood, you're capturing color anyway. So right. did you debate any? With did you do any in color just to see how they played out before you committed?
1: We I mean, of course we're shooting in color, so we saw what they looked like in color. And there were a couple of instances where we John and I sort of went back and forth about whether we would make an exception for one image or something like that. We decided against it in the long run, but there's definitely some images from the project that are in color that I still love as just color images.
0: Because that could work equally well. I mean, you could have predominantly you know, monochrome and everyone's want a little pop of color mm-hmm. where it comes up. But I was, I was curious
2: to know whether that was a consideration at all. It definitely came up. Yeah. yeah, it definitely came up in conversation for sure. Uh, but one thing I, I wanted to ask and or comment on, and ask because I tend to forget exactly how a lot of these ideas first came came to be. Yeah, who started it? Who, who initiated this conversation? Yeah, that's you guys? a good
1: question. <laughs> I think <laughs> we were getting a coffee one day,
2: right? Yeah. Well, we were talking about trying to do a project that was a little different from what you know we normally see on the B and H site, and you know Corey's a an, an experienced. Uh, portrait photographer and uh art photographer so we thought well you know let's try to use those talents and how we're gonna how we're gonna kind of integrate it in something that would work for our site and and I that bnh that, that will still also be uh, okay with and that bnh will be okay with and i you know in my memory it all kind of was like a, a cobblestone a yellow brick road you know we kind of said all right well if we can get this backdrop that you know you really wanted to work with Hol- Oliphant backdrops, which are somewhat legendary in the business. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Andy Leibowitz uses them. Um, you know, they're all over Vanity Fair, and and sh- they produce for for Broadway shows. And you know, not to be a name dropper, but I have also rented from Sarah Oliphant in the past. Really? Wow! Well, yes, okay, I have. we get to note that then. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so we. We reached out to them and they were great and they said, yeah, sure, we'll loan you one. I mean, everything that we got, we we had to kind of ask for because there wasn't any budget for this project at the beginning. And um, and once they said yes, we kind of realized, all right, well, we have something going here. And then we were able to get the studio and, and we were able to get the camera and uh, these things all pieced together. And then we kind of decided, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And and as Corey mentioned, because we were thinking about a wide variety of people and 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 bringing in different views on the subject, and, and views that we don't often talk about here at B&H, more from the art side and the theoretical side. Um, I guess the idea to keep the look consistent was the one—the one thing that would remain consistent, other than the three, the three items that we mentioned. And, um, and
0: it's also worth mentioning that the goal of this project wasn't to sell anything at all. This was strictly art.
2: Yeah, it was, and, and the company it was, yeah. backed up on it which I yeah. think is really tremendous and I think as it the, the project developed to me it became kind of a documentary project in, you know? in, the, in the sense of alright we're documenting what photography is now to this crew of people in the, in the New York scene although not everyone was from New York but, now you, you photographed
0: what 40 people all together mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. um, how many people did you reach out to out of that because
2: I know that not everyone was agreeable to this for whatever reasons well geez how many did we reach out to that's a probably double that you know i mean we we came up with a list at the beginning of the kind of the 10 or 15 people that we really thought we would like to be involved and a handful of those said yes most either never responded or were unavailable i mean we get a lot of positive responses but people just couldn't fit it in the schedule because we were trying to cram everything into these this two-month period and it was in the summertime I think it helped, too, once we started to have images to
1: show people. When we very first started out, it was a little bit trickier because nobody was really sure what we were doing. It was was
0: vapor, yeah. 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 But all of a sudden you have something concrete, and they go, okay, they're serious,
2: and it's good. And in some ways we got lucky because that first day, our first day of shooting, we had Eleanor Carucci and Amr, and those two photos turned out to be great, and the vibe that they brought to the whole day was helpful. And with those two photos, we were able to... I think gathering a lot of people, you know. Uh, I think the fact that Eleanor was involved and the photos were there was credibility, great, yeah. all, credibility all of a sudden, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and also when somebody was photographed and they enjoyed it, they said, "Hey, why don't you think about so and so?" So we we called them. So the thing kind of took a life of its own in in some way and. Uh, yeah, but we did reach out to a lot of people, and we we kind of aimed high in the terms of getting some real celebrities and some huge names in the photo photo world. Now you
0: used photographers, but it was not all photographers. What other? No. What are the categories of people that you interviewed? Now I know you had a book publisher,
2: at least one yeah. publisher, curators, mm-hmm. curators, editors, editors. academics, um, technicians. And yeah, and a lot of photographers and people who, you know, cross the line, videographers, filmmakers. Right. Um Josh Begley, you know, whose answer when we asked them what is photography, says, you know, I don't know. I've never owned a camera. But <laughs> but he does, you know he clicks- I've owned a lot and I'm still not sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and you know, he put he's somebody, I guess you'd call him a digital artist. He you know, he pulls he creates apps and he and he pulls images. From the web to create photo series that are kind of questioning the you know what, what photography is in our day and age. So, so it was a pretty wide range, and that was the idea. Most of that came through Corey, you know, I would say, or at least his his thinking on the subject. We didn't want it to
1: be just photographers. We kind of wanted to see all of the different types of people that get involved in the photography world. It was a
0: big people part of it. People are just basically crisscross photography. Right. Yeah. It's part of their their life. What was the most Esoteric response you got, or one that took you by the like blindsided you? Hmm.
2: hmm. I would say that the, the answers kind of broke down into four or five different types of answers, you yeah. know? Uh, some people were talked about connecting with other people, you know? Other people talked about photography as a language to tell their stories. Uh, there was a group of people that I would say were people who were talked about manipulating light and time to do something new you know and and like josh and a few other people there were people said well i'm not really a photographer or, or am i a photographer you know they were questioning our question you know uh sam cannon being one of them and sam is an artist and a director who who is known for her music videos and animated gifs that tend to blur the line between still and motion photography
3: I don't know if I'm a photographer. I do primarily work in video. I work uh, in a lot of really short videos. That that doesn't really mean anything today because most videos are really short now, but it can range anywhere from 15 seconds to a couple of minutes. Um, basically just not feature-length films. Um, and, and, I, uh, and I'm really interested in making looping videos that don't have a clear start and end point I I really like to think about making images that you would, moving images specifically that you would approach similarly to how you would approach a sculpture or a painting in a gallery where no matter how much time you spend with it, it won't necessarily give you any more information, but the amount of time that you sit there with it, you might derive more from it or have a different experience from someone else. But most of the work that I make, even even though it's video, the narrative doesn't, It's not a linear narrative. There's just a limited amount of information. Um, I studied at RIT in Rochester, New York, upstate. And before going to undergrad, I had a really, really hard time deciding if I wanted to study photography or if I wanted to go to film school. And I ultimately chose photo. And I I think it was mostly because I, I wanted to be able to manipulate images pretty easily. And at that point, my understanding of that lent itself better to photography than it did to video. I I also am very interested in working alone. I like being in my studio. I like uh, kind of like wandering around in landscapes alone and making pictures. And the idea of being a part of a huge film crew didn't sound fun to me at all. So I went to photo school and I like immediately regretted it uh cuz i really i loved the school that i went to i had a great experience but i i missed the motion so much and i i knew that there was this huge thing that was missing uh and i and i didn't know how to get it back and i didn't want to change the path that i was on um and so i started making gifts uh it was just kind of accidental uh this was like 2000 2011, 2012, and GIFs were mostly just being shared on Tumblr's uh, like reactionary images or recaps from TV shows. And uh, there were some illustrators that were making really cool artwork using them and a couple of videographers and photographers, but there, there really weren't that many people using it in that way yet. A lot of the work that I make is about uh, bodies, about women's bodies specifically, about the way the images of of bodies are shared and consumed online, um, but also the, the work itself is usually speaking somehow to just the internet and image manipulation and the way that we uh, understand images. I've always felt that, especially now, people assume that most images are manipulated, uh, that it's like become a part of our larger understanding that when we see things online, they're not real. And I find a lot of freedom in that and a lot of permission. I like to use liquid in my work because I'm normally dealing with women's bodies and I'm, I'm normally doing some kind of collage, even if it's subtle. Um, I'm, you know, I'm putting multiple images together. And so working in collage, i wanted to find a way to, uh, collage women's bodies that didn't feel violent to me. Collage traditionally is a process of like cutting things up or removing things. And, uh, and so I felt that if I use liquid, I could use it as a way to reveal information and reveal what I wanted to shoot rather than having a, you know, a process of like extracting something, which didn't seem right. Um, and then liquid is also, it's beautiful. So that's kind of an easy entry point. But also I feel like it speaks to uh, a transitional space, a like fluid constantly changing space, and then also the womb. And like the the no- the sounds that I make for the videos are usually... Womb-like or sound-like uh, ultrasounds and things that I find really like calming, droning things that you listen to. So, part of the reason why I fell in love with making gifts early on was because they were so restrictive, and I really fell in love with like how can I tell a story in this format? How can I make something that I think is beautiful but is still going to be able to upload somewhere? I shoot everything, so I'll, I'll I'll get all of the footage. I use a lot of different cameras. I primarily shoot with either Canon or Sony. Uh, and then I build the final video out in After Effects and sometimes still will go into Photoshop for certain things if I need to. But yeah. I'm mostly just working in After Effects. People don't always realize that I'm shooting the things that I'm making uh, or that or how many actual things are added. That They're like, oh, it's just a landscape that has one thing in it. And like now it's like 300 different layers of things in that video. Um, but yeah.
2: Thank you so much. All right. Cool. The answers
0: that you got to the question were all over the place. Which ones do you think connect between the answer and the visual? Are there any that sort of, you look at the two and you'd say, okay, that's a match?
1: Well, I, I think in the editing process, we, if we when i was making the image if i hadn't already heard what the quote was going to be and it was more of like i was speaking of earlier where it was sort of a collaboration and, and figuring out something about the person's personality or trying to reflect their work when we got around to the editing process and the selection process we did have the quote we we knew what we were going to publish with it so that was kind of a one of the influences when okay. we were making okay. our decisions so we tried to keep it somewhat you know related mm-hmm. i think in many cases yeah. Uh, Eleanor's image I think is one of the ones You know, saying what was it John we get to connect to people better
2: yeah it was her way of connecting to people and, and that started with, with my family and has been growing out ever since right. we so she brought in her, her
1: daughter and we had a very close crop image of the two of them and I thought mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. works really it is beautifully with mm-hmm. the, uh, mm-hmm. the quote mm-hmm.
2: yeah another thing we did which was uh in, and I, we didn't plan this at all, but I think it worked out pretty well. Is that the studio we we were using is uh, located in the Penumbra Foundation, as you know, and you know in the closets and in the corners are old camera equipment.
0: No matter where you look, right, you're there. there's <laughs> something. I mean, and
2: not to mention all the general equipment you would find in a photo studio. Um, so we we try to utilize some of that material there and some of those items to incorporate. In some ways, just to kind of give life to, a, to an image and, and have some, something, you know, something for somebody to hold or lean on or whatnot. But ultimately, it kind of also spoke to this idea of what is photography because we were using things that, that spoke to the history of photography as well as the, kind of the practice of photography within, within the studio. And I think that was just a little bit of a, a lucky twist.
0: Was uh, was Jeff uh, upset that you didn't shoot tintypes for this project?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but Jeff Jeff was involved, and we did one of the photos that didn't make it into the into the final cut was uh, Jeff Berliner surrounded by what. 30, 20 lenses, 30 yeah. antique and vintage lenses, you know, that yeah, are kind of floating above his head. He does own
0: the, over a thousand lenses, yeah, yeah. lenses, This guy that might have been
2: the hardest shoot, I would say, or the hardest day, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we got uh, some good ones of him, too, yeah. We got and the one of him, him Jolene, uh, with the frame framed by yeah, mm-hmm. a, a vintage camera was pretty nice.
0: Did you have like one particular shot or one setup scenario for each of your subjects, or did you play around multiple with? Some or all of them.
1: We had a couple for each. We wanted to make sure that we had some variety to look at whenever we are making our selection. So, and sometimes we would start off with something very simple and kind of realize halfway through that oh, this is a little bit boring. Let's do something else. And we would change it up and a lot of – I'd say a good number of them sort of – well, I don't know. I mean, sometimes we had the shot at the very beginning and sometimes we had it at the end. I mean, it's, it's yeah, photography, yeah. right? Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. No, but Corey was good in, in kind of trusting his his instincts there. You know, if he thought he had something he pretty quickly, he would say, all right, I got it, you know, and if not, let's go back and... What and then John would say, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, a couple of times we, you shot and then I brought the folks over and we talked for a while which gave you a chance to go back and look at the images and, and maybe also change the vibe a little bit and have them kind of relax. And then we yeah. went back and, and shot them again, and, and that that shot might have been the better one.
0: Did you go, Did you show the pictures to uh, uh, your subjects while they were there? Did they see anything on site? If they asked to,
1: I would show the show them to them. Um, but we didn't make a point of okay. immediately showing it to them. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Mark Mann, when he came and sat, he wanted to see the images, so we showed him. Uh, his portraits, and he jumped right into uh, <laughs> Photoshop and started editing his image. He was like, "He's like, oh, right, here you go. It's beautiful, beautiful image." I'm like, All right, "I think I'm going to do that myself." But appreciate. it.
2: Well, didn't he at one point say, "Wait, wait, wait are you doing one of my photos?" Like, because he he's right. kind of known for these these tight cropped portraits uh, of celebrities and politicians and whatnot. Actually, what was interesting about that is he we like Corey mentioned we had asked people to bring in some items that might be important to their photography and. Mm-hmm. And, and some people brought like an old camera, or as he mentioned, this, this mask and- Or a child. Or a child. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he said, well, I can't really think of anything, but you know, I do have the, the stool that Obama sat on when I photographed him. And we are like, well, why don't we get that? So I jumped in a subway, ran down to his studio, which is down in, in Chinatown and brought it back. And- we d- it didn't make it. I mean, we didn't use that shot. I don't think, uh, but uh, but it was nice having it there anyway. You know, a little touch of history. Sure. But, yeah, he was great. He was really fun to talk to, and uh, and he had a good answer ready too. So yeah.
0: So you had a show downtown, which was great. Mm-hmm. We were all at the opening. Yeah. Uh, got was very well received, and you're now publishing on the B and H Explorer website. Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. that was went into it is now out there. Um, well not quite. We're you're still, still in the process of
2: coming you're doing it. Yeah, in sections. we're we're putting out two photos a week. Okay. And we're about I'd say we're not quite halfway through. So this the series'll be published ongoing into probably into February, I guess. And uh, and we're actually hoping to start it up again and make this an ongoing thing, but that's T B D, you
0: know. What about a book, a physical book? You thinking about it? Any offers? Any?
2: <laughs> Not no offers, but it's something that was mentioned, and I think there's it could fit. Maybe if we continue and, and get a few more people and, and continue down this line, it might be something to think consider. But uh, but yeah, and and it's something that you know we weren't really. It came up in the middle of of the whole process. We felt that you know, there's a really good vibe. You know, people would come in and someone would be leaving from their portrait session and someone would be coming and they would ch- talk for a few minutes. And we kind of thought well, it would be great if we could just get everybody together, you know, one location, one time and and do uh, maybe an exhibit. And hey, has- a great day on West 30th Street. <laughs> 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 that would have been cool. <laughs> against yeah, the
0: brownstone on the steps. I could see it all now. <laughs> right. I could see it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Hasselblad was cool. They they said they liked the photos when when we showed them to him. Dan Wang, thank you, Dan, and he uh, offered their space to do an exhibit, uh, which we did, and uh, it worked out pretty well. Not everybody, of course, showed up, but many of the the people who were photographed came, and uh, and I think you well, were it felt like a problem. community. Yeah, for that, sure. thank you. That was that was kind of what I was yeah. trying to get at. We we feel felt like through this project we put together kind of a small community of people. Uh, and we wanted to keep them together and get them to know each other, and, and that was the idea of the series, uh, of the exhibit. exhibit. and uh,
1: I think one of the other funny things that kept happening was when one person would be leaving the studio, walking out, they'd run into the, our next person or somebody else in the, in the building, and they would already know them. So it, it felt like we were building a community, but the community was also, to some extent, already built. You're just reinforcing yeah, it. That's right. it. You're just adding yeah. another yeah.
2: block mm-hmm. of reinforcement yeah. to it. Yeah, which I thought, yeah, led to this idea of a document of of time, and and place. Uh, that was it. it just it kind of gelled. You know, sometimes a project takes a, a life of its own, and I think this happened. You know, I think that the, as the project grew and as the vibe got better, um, and the work, you know, Corey's work was clearly good. Um, people gravitated toward it, and, and that was really nice.
0: What kind of. In- now, you went into this project with certain expectations and understandings and perspectives. How did it change at the end? You, are you looking back at it with a, a, from a different point of view, or would you approach it differently again or moving forward based on what you already have
2: experienced? You know, I don't know if we had too many expectations going in. I think a lot of it was we we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants a little bit you know, we, there was no budget. We, I think we were both surprised that the people that gave us their backdrop and their gear actually did give it to us for that time. Um, with really no questions asked, you know, it was like, yeah, go ahead. And, and we, you know, we, we said that if this ever comes together, we'll link you guys and, and, and talk about your gear and stuff. But, uh, we weren't even sure that BH would publish it when we started photographing this. And, uh, and I, this is what I was kind of getting at before. It seemed like in the middle that the best result for this would be an exhibit. It seemed to feel that way. It seemed to feel almost more so than a publication that an exhibit and bringing people together, kind of a celebration, was was the the best uh, you know outcome for this. And, and we were able to do that. And and actually we're going to do more. You know we have a couple of exhibits planned uh, at Depth of Field here at B and mm-hmm. and and something that's just getting organized now for International Women's Day. And so I think there'll be a long life to this project, no matter, you know, whether we photograph more or not. But uh, to answer your question, I I think, yeah, just this general idea of community, that people really kind of came together around the project, that was the nicest part. I think less...
1: What I would do differently, because I'm very happy with what we did do, but more kind of seeing where it grows from here. Sort of like John was just saying, like it takes the form originally of you know editorial content on a website, turns into an exhibition, uh, turns into an artist panel, turns into uh, different events to podcast. bring people together, a podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so that that's kind of my thinking about It's like where will this go
0: next? Okay, so you spent a good chunk of this past year. Coming up with the project, executing it, and actually putting up a show and everything else and taking your bows. Uh, so at the end of the day, what is photography? Oh, jeez. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when I look at photography, it's more about uh, using a camera or using whatever form of photography you're doing to convey uh, some sort of message, whether it be about something social-related, something political, something artistic. I've never really separated it that much from any other form of visual representation. I just think it's, you know, a painter picks up a paintbrush, a photographer picks up a camera sort of thing.
2: We may want to jump to Masik's uh, quote right now because one of his points had to do with the relationship with photography and painting in his work. Machek Yasek is a fine art and editorial photographer. His personal and his commercial work uses color and bewildering physical phenomena to explore our relationship with identity, gender, and the natural world. Here's Machik.
4: So, yeah, First thing I ever did, um, I was inspired by painting a lot when I first started doing, I guess my own kind of work when I was assisting other photographers, and um, I just, basically most of my work is just finding different ways of achieving the effects of paintings through um, different materials that I put in front of the lens or on the lights, or um, and just my way of reinventing how people look and how landscapes work, and so. I started with portraits, and it's just a way of stripping everything down. And I would usually, when I work on the color portraits, is that I ask people to um, have their shoulders bare because it creates, for me, more of a sense of intimacy. And I use these colors to kind of find an emotional like, channel for people to connect with people. There's so many different ways of showing how people are. And for me, it's not as much about showing how they look but maybe more how they make us feel or how they feel
2: themselves. And all of this is, as you said, in-camera technique. So can you describe a little bit of the process? I know you use prisms and obviously filters and uh, gels. and imagine a, Yeah, all of the stuff. above. Yeah. Basically,
4: yeah. like... And, I, I, and I'm a fan with a lot of other photographers that basically just use, like, any kind of materials you can, whether it's, like, plastic gels, or I know one photographer uses, a like color wigs. Like, there's all these, like, really interesting ways of putting in color or distorting that are not only because I think for me I do photography because it's not deliberate like painting it's kind of accidental and I'm often just as surprised as anyone who sees the photo so I'll use any of these like different kinds of glass almost anything because there's just like a wealth of possibilities that can come from that
2: and do you go through periods of time where it's only glass only prisms and you find something else and you go to that or is it always kind of like a kind of a tool chest to, to pull from?
4: I tend to have like a few tools that I use, but if I have like a new tool, then I kind of like go crazy for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's a lot of times like I started this with portraits and then I'll be like, well, if it works for portraits, can it work for landscapes? Uh-huh. And I just try to find new ways. And sometimes it might take me like a year or two just to even figure out how to use a prism or something else. Interesting.
2: And this experimentation with color, though, doesn't necessarily uh, extend to backdrops, um, costuming or is it all having to do more with the light that is being created
4: it'll be like in front of the lens it'll be on the lights um mostly like that just because i think for me i like to work with restrictions because if i can do like anything mm-hmm. then i get kind of overwhelmed i'm like what the <laughs> hell do i do right now so i'm just like oh let's let me do this this and this and that's kind of like and especially working commercially i get like five or ten minutes sometimes with people really so yeah. i really yeah. don't have the time yeah. to
2: stick around right 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 let's see what we got next Oh, wow. Look at that.
4: So it's basically, this is just a series of nudes that I started doing. The same techniques as the portraits, but I um, have really had emphasis on movement and trying to find different ways of making movement because a lot of people at times when they see nudes, it looks like sculpture or it looks like dance. Mm -hmm. People are like, oh, it looks like sculpture, dance. You kind of shut off emotionally. But for me, I was like, well, is there a way to show this as a way like, you know, is this person floating in water or Like, what's happening? And for me, Mm -hmm. building that kind of mystery is really uh, interesting and fascinating. All right. And this? Commercial assignment. Oh, okay. Uh, It's for a musician named Ariana and the Rose, and we were shooting actually a music video in Southern California, and then she was like, well, let's just do some photos really quick, you know, since we've been up since 5 in the morning. And um, it was just a really cool place like this that I was able to just, like, kind of layer a certain number of colors and just kind of push the reality just a little bit um, and then just kind of sneak them into the middle of the frame and just kind of play with all the, like, the textures, uh, things that were already there, and kind of build on them with color.
2: And do you feel if you had to choose between studio and out in the landscape like this, does it make a difference? I mean, Do you enjoy it equally?
4: I enjoy it equally. It's just that when you're on location, all the logistics are really hard, but sure. you have all these like, amazing places that you can like, reinvent and use, whereas the studio is much more like restricted, mm-hmm. but it's so comfortable. Okay. And another one? Uh, so this is more recent work, a project called Deeply Ordered Chaos." It comes from a lot of my like admiration and wonder about Francis Bacon paintings and mm-hmm. um, making photography even more like painting where I'm like using like in-camera techniques. This is using a prism um, for kind of really kind of pushing the boundaries of how a person can look and kind of still retaining human qualities and also like heavily distorting people, and also in these like, kind of very organic ways okay and another one it's in utah and i'm using the prism in the landscape um and i'm just basically reflecting parts of the other landscape into this landscape oh wow okay. so it's a kind of difficult because you're instead of like framing it like okay this is what it's going to look like i have framing how this landscape is going to like reflect into this landscape so it becomes kind of very convoluted but it, it affords me this opportunity to make to totally reinvent the landscape
2: and how long will you be out there for a shoot like that
4: um, I was out there for about three days okay. shooting, like dust till dawn.
2: Really? Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. Ah, oh, wow.
4: And this is the most recent thing. Um, this was in Iceland a month ago um, with my girlfriend, creative partner Erica. It was in the back there. Um, <laughs> we were. We only <laughs> were funny. able to shoot in Iceland one day because it was pretty cold and it was like snowing and raining half the time. But we had one day of shooting. And we were using the prism, and this is, like, the newest work, which we're really excited by, um, of, like, finding ways of sneaking, like, humans into this landscape in this kind of, like, mysterious, strange way. So, we're really excited about like it. That. That's great. That's
0: great. So, after all is said and done, after uh, photographing these people, hearing their responses, anybody's quote or thoughts that maybe just really triggered you a little bit and made you just stop and pause and reassess what you already had going on in your head? I think
1: one of the more interesting quotes that came out uh, of this project came from Lev Manovich, who's a theorist of media. He's written about Instagram, uh, digital culture, um, those sorts of topics. And his short answer was essentially that a photograph is what a computer can't do. And I think today, especially with the rise of digital and and how much digital technology is getting into the camera and behind the camera, that made me think and, and sort of wonder where photography is going? Where wh- what will the answer to this question be in twenty years?
2: Yeah. By the way, did you see that there was uh, an article about uh, artificial all these,
0: intelligence? Uh, all those
2: AI generated portraits. I sent you the video that for existed. that last night. Yes. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah it's actually crazy. quite it's frightening. I mean, I mean yeah. Yeah, for yeah, those
0: yeah. of you wondering what we're talking about, the, there was a. a a series of portraits that were released that were all put together through artificial intelligence. The people do not exist, but you'd swear you know all these Old people, people babies. Yeah, I babies, mean, it was yeah. it was very frightening to yeah. see all that mm. stuff.
2: Not as frightening as a baby with teeth. Did you see that
0: one? <laughs> oh, I shared that with a lot of people. Yes, I loved it.
2: <laughs> but uh, one thing that we didn't seem to cover a lot in this, although we did have a sports photographer, we didn't have... and and many of the photographers do commercial work, uh, there's no doubt, but we tried to shy away from some of the areas of photography that B&H covers a lot, which would be
3: landscape photographers, (laughs) wedding
2: photographers, um, to some degree, wildlife photographers. Um, But interestingly enough... uh, we did talk a lot about where the, the divide between a commercial work is and where an artistic work is, you know, how, how these photographers look at different aspects of their photography. One thing I found interesting with the, the people that we had is that there, there's, and this may get back to this idea that we tended to look more to the art and in my case the, the documentary and photojournalistic side, but we had kind of this clean split between people who were about documenting their story and, and doing it as true as possible if you can use that word in photography anymore and then we had this other set of people who who were all about manipulation you know who the, you know the idea of just putting a pure image then uh, wouldn't even be part of of their thought process you know I think Ben what was Ben Zank's quote something you know is bending reality to my will you know that kind of idea and uh and and I guess that's the history of photography, right? I mean, documenting what you see and trying to you know create something that you that you don't see. Um, but we we had a nice little little group representing both camps. I thought.
0: I always found no difference between straight and manipulated photography because every photograph you take is manipulated. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're shooting color. The film itself determines the color, not you or your settings. Okay, there are certain presets. And um, even just making it tonal adjustments to your picture, you are changing what is so. Even if you just have a phone, you see what you can do to your picture on your phone, you're manipulating no matter what. Yeah, yeah. And even the capture. Oh, and that's, take, what,
2: that's what that's Magic said yeah.
0: to some degree. It's who's, a 2D representation who, of a 3D yeah, world.
1: Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a transformation.
4: I think when a lot of people see my work, they're like, oh, I really like it, how'd you do it in Photoshop? And that, that's just like the expectation that it's fake. And when I'm like, no, they're like, oh. And then they get kind of confused. And then they're like, all right, now how do you do it? And I'm like, no, let's keep it mysterious, man. <laughs> and that's usually doesn't fly that great. Um, but that is the same idea, I think, that we live in a world where there's so much things that are fake, that when you like kind of insist that something is real or like, it's not what someone thinks, you know, we've lost that ability. <laughs> to kind of see what's real. I mean, it's obviously a huge problem, um, but also as visual artists, we kind of have to keep that in mind
2: at all yeah, times. Yeah. Actually, it reminds me, um, the, the gentleman in, in the photograph who's back there with his hand in here, his name is Amar Alfiki, and uh, his quote, uh, it was shortened, photography is revolution, but it, the longer quote goes on to say that, you know, if, if photography is not truth, we're in a lot of trouble, you know, which speaks to this, but I also want to throw this over to Miranda. I thought that your, quote, responsibility and revolution went hand-in-hand with each other very well. And uh, your work clearly is documentary-based and, and not a lot of manipulation, or at least it wouldn't seem that way. How do you feel about that subject of manipulation? Are you Miranda Barnes is a documentarian and photojournalist whose clients include The New York Times, Time, Vogue, and New Yorker magazine. Here's Miranda.
3: Because I went to a criminal justice school that... Manipulation was like never a right. thing, so I really I feel like I've never been able to like experiment, um, and maybe hopefully down the line I can. But yes, I cannot doctor any of my photos. Time, New York Times. It's like even when I like have to text an editor, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna edit the photos. They're like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, no, you mean just just look at all them through. Yeah, <laughs> um, oh, because <laughs> they want to make sure
2: you have one shot. We we didn't show it. I don't think we did, but it's the 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 theater seat mm-hmm. and in the martin luther king series Mm -hmm. which you know it could be any theater anywhere or even a church or something like that but it's just dripping with so much meaning when you know the context of it but it also could be in a weird way like a created image you know it's just this little piece of design element of a chair
3: yeah people ask me a lot about that i wish i I should have put it in but people are like how did you you put that light there and i'm like well it's coming through the stained glass i saw an opportunity and i took it you know um but yeah, it's yeah, I have to be very very um pragmatic about uh the photos that I take and how I take them because unfortunately I can't, you know, doctor mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, great. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. It's pretty
0: varied. It's a wide spectrum of of personalities. And also,
2: you know, we we were fortunate to get some of the people who are the, you know, the top top of their field. We had like I said, a pretty wide range of people. I can give you well, let me run on the list that I have here. We had uh Aaron Barnett, who is the director of exhibitions and collections at, the, at ICP. We had uh, Chris Stein, who is the founder and the guitarist from the band Blondie mm-hmm. and is also a photographer. Uh, Santiago Leon, he's the director of editorial content at Adobe and a Pulitzer Prize winner. Um, Jamal Shabazz, great photographer. Um, as we mentioned, Eleanor Carucci, Mark Mann, Sandra Stevenson, New York Times editor, we had August, August Prost, who's a, a printer and owner of, a, of LTI Lightside, um, Mary Mattingly, who else do we have, um, Cynthia Santos Briones, who's an anthropologist and started only started photographing for her anthropology work just to kind of document the people she was dealing with and then developed her craft as a photographer and she had an interesting insight. Um, we had Teru Kuoyama, who was hes a photojournalist, uh, co-founder of, of Lightstalkers and the, the former photo community manager at Facebook. And we brought in uh, Gershon Eisenberger from B&H, who oh, yes. uh, developed uh, some camera gear back in the day, Vivitar Flash. The Vivitar yeah. 283
0: and 85. Macro
2: zoom lens, who knew yeah. that, you know, he... he oh, did I didn't know, he things. really, okay, yeah. I didn't know that one. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And he also, for those who've been in the store, the uh, the trolleys with all the little baskets that shoot around, the same guy designed that system too. Oh, wow, I didn't <laughs> even know. Oh, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, he, he cool. designed that whole thing when they opened up the store. Cool. So um, where do we go from here, Corey? What, what's the future of this project? On
1: Explorer. <laughs> <So> <laughs> any any be... traveling
0: shows or anything like that coming up uh, where people would be able to see it firsthand?
1: Well, uh, we'll be doing or I'll be doing a talk at Depth of Field in February.
0: Which is here in New York City. Right. It's a two-day event a wedding this wedding and portrait conference, yeah. Yeah, day, okay. Yeah,
1: at the New Yorker Hotel.
0: Which is free. Stay tuned for that.
1: Mm-hmm. we're working out some other things but they're not quite as ironed out mm-hmm.
2: yet yeah well right now yeah it's about continuing to get the images published and you know for anyone out there listening I totally encourage you to go to the site to check out the images to comment to share and you know I'm making a plug a straight up you know plug that advanced this project for us so that we can do more projects like this and, and also the other people that work with us a lot of talented photographers and writers can, can do these kind of projects I will and say it,
0: this is having worked here for many many years uh, on the uh, Explorer website for b This is probably the, one of the most exciting projects that we've had here. I thought it was pretty terrific that the company gave you the time to do this, and they did very well. And it was where I think it was it's just a benefit all the way around for everybody here. Good stuff. Yeah. Mm,
1: thanks.
0: Okay. Cool. All right. We're going to take a short break, and we come back. We're going to be chatting with Stanley Sterrell, the winner of the Panasonic GX85 and two zoom lenses from our Panasonic Lumix sweepstakes. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the b Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at Video hashtag bhphotopodcast. Okay, a few weeks ago, we had a Panasonic event day in the New York City Superstore at b And we set up a table and we did a whole podcast from there. And part of the deal was we had a Panasonic Lumix DMC GX85 sweepstakes in which we were talking to customers and they threw their names into a hat and we chose a winner of a Panasonic Lumix DMC GX85 mirrorless micro four thirds camera with a 12 to 32 and 45 to 150 millimeter zoom lenses thrown in. And we happen to have the winner of our sweepstakes here on the line, Stanley Sterrell of Florida, are you?
5: Uh, well, I was from, I'm from Florida, but I moved to New York recently.
0: Welcome to the show.
5: It's great to be here.
0: It's terrific. So you got the camera and the first thing you do is you send us pictures from prison. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we're joking around no, no, Stanley sent us some pictures he took when he was in San Francisco of Alcatraz so I couldn't uh, help giving him a little bit of a rib on that one um, so <laughs> so are you happy with your new camera? Uh, it's
5: amazing actually it, it's really amazing it's my first uh, mirrorless camera actually
0: what did you have before that? what camera were you using before you, you got this Panasonic?
5: Uh, the Canon 6D
0: Okay, and what's the big difference between this system and the camera? Obviously, big, big differences. But you know, what's what's your take on it so far?
5: With the Lumex, it seems like it's an extremely good portable um, travel camera, secondary camera. Uh, of course, like my sixty has a bigger sensor and it's full frame, and it, it's great for more of like uh, my weddings and more professional work and so forth like that. But uh, when I did take my trip to San Francisco, it just seemed like a crazy opportunity to use this small uh, profile camera. So actually I was able to put my big camera away uh, cause I did a lot of like walking around. And if anybody knows about San Francisco, it's, it's pretty hectic when it comes to like being on foot. Um, I was able to put my big camera away and only solely use the uh, Lumex to take landscapes and portraits and different things like that.
0: So your
2: chiropractor is angry with you. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) And even with the, the, did you bring both lenses when you went or did you just use the smaller lens?
5: No, I brought both, I brought both lenses. And the,
2: the, the zoom lens, the, the telephoto zoom is, uh, is equally or is small enough that you didn't have any problems carrying it around?
5: So, well, man, it's just spectacular. Um, what ended up happening was like, um, I got frustrated with my big camera and, and I majority of the time I use a prime lenses. So it's a lot of switching and so forth like that. Um, I deal with it on a wedding day, just cause I know the kind of image quality that I'm going to be able to receive. So I deal with it, but when it comes to like traveling and I just want to get the shot and keep it moving, it kind of became tedious. So when it came to me switching, like I literally got frustrated and I just switched to the Lumix slowly. Um, I was able to put the zoom lens in my pocket Huh. and i was switching off instead of having to go into my bag uh, yeah. back and forth i was able to just switch off lenses just going into my pocket and switching in you know back and forth it that may, way it, so it may it
2: sound like not a big deal but for me that is a big deal having to dig into a le- into a bag when you're walking out in the street to me right. will get me will have me shooting less photos so it's good yeah. it's, which yeah, is yeah. why
0: i wear cargo pants whenever i go out with a big dslr no. <laughs> no no that's a huge issue being able to just stick everything into your pockets also for traveling in general uh especially if you're flying uh to be able to carry all this stuff on board with you is huge
2: and what about i mean you're using a dslr so now you have the mirrorless you have the the viewfinder and you are using the screen or the viewfinder how are you composing
5: um, I'm actually using both, but probably more of the uh, of the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the viewfinder seems to be. That's just one of the uh, of the cons that I have with it is that the viewfinder is pretty small. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do go into the viewfinder, um, like me, I have kind of like a pointy nose. Uh, so when <laughs> I do, <laughs> yeah, I have to dig into the to the viewfinder with my eyes. So my nose ends up touching the uh, the screen, which. The screen is touchscreen, so it will move the uh, focal point. It'll, it'll move. It'll move the focus point while I'm looking into. So I have to back up a little bit um, <laughs> to, to look into the viewfinder. With you know, I, I I end up dealing with it, but it, it's it's something to mention. You know, yeah. tell
2: tell us a little bit about some of the pros and some of the cons. I mean, you mentioned one of the cons, and that that's a good point. But um, yeah. what do you what do you find other than the size that you're, you're liking about it? Any surprises?
5: Those were the two cons that I really only had with it. Everything else was just, like, surprises for me. It was very lightweight and portable that, you know, it's a mirrorless, so of course you're going to get that. But also what I found was the Wi-Fi capability was actually a very a good help to me. You download the app, and you're able to use it on your Android or your um, Apple device. So, you know, for, while you're on the go, because it seems like that's what a uh, a mirrorless, small profile camera, so supposed to be supposed to be more convenient.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
5: Yeah. Uh, so that that was something very good. One of the biggest things that I found was that um, charging it via micro USB directly into the camera was something big for me when it came to traveling. Because when you're on a plane or when you're out on the out about and you can't find out, outlets, whether it's in California or even here in New York, you can just charge it up with a portable ba- uh, battery pack. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 That's a great point. Yeah. That was an
5: extreme, extreme big thing to me. But Mm -hmm. I mean, other than that, there's a lot of like customization that you can do to it. Um, The screen, um, it doesn't swivel, but it does uh, move out. And so
0: it's a tilting screen. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
5: It's a tilting screen. Right. So for video, it's pretty good when you want to, if like, I'm I'm a bit tall, I'm not that tall. uh, But um, when you want to bring it down to a level of, uh, uh whatever your subject is, you can bring it down by just swiveling up the screen and you'll be able to still see it perfectly.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, that's one of it. As well, oh, a big, big help to me was I ended up using it for landscapes. And so it has just so many features within it that gives you a bit of aid whether it's the histogram or zebra lines or uh, a good one was the leveler within it. Um, so I'm a big um, advocate of, uh, of straight lines and a straight horizon, which I, I believe everyone is. Um, but it's way better when you can do it um, in camera than having to do all of them in post. You know what I mean? Uh, so like even when I did the one with Alcatraz and uh, of the, uh, bro- of the um, Golden Gate Bridge, it was great to just look into the viewfinder or on the screen and just see a leveler that will give you green if it's, like, leveled, and then, you know, you're able to just move on that way. So that that was a big surprise and
0: very great help. Did you find a big transition going from DSLR to a mirrorless camera? You know, is, uh, was it kind of awkward for you?
5: Yeah, uh, of course. Actually, <laughs> um, I was on the verge of, like, swearing off uh, mirrorless cameras because I just love... Be like the the weight of a, of a good dslr and it, it just makes me feel comfortable and so like when i've like held the sony's or so forth like that i just never saw myself ever being able to use it just because of the comfortability factor uh but when i did like just switch off into the lumex i i guess it grew on me and honestly it's not me it's just trying to advocate for the lumex it, it, it just honestly it just worked for me so it, it, yes, it was a big difference, but it's something you can definitely get used to.
2: And how about, did you handle the menus pretty easily? Was there any any learning curve on that side or much of a learning yeah. curve?
5: Of course. I haven't really used a Panasonic camera on the regular before. So um, it, it definitely was different from Canon, uh, but it was pretty straightforward Man. and that you... Um, you can use the screen and you don't have to just use like the tactile buttons on the right of it. Uh, it, it was pretty easy to get through.
2: Did you find yourself using the touchscreen a lot? Yes. Um, yes. I'm um, a big, I'm a
5: big in, in, advocate. In,
2: intentionally we're talking, not your nose. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> cool. Oh, can I add something? Yeah, actually? please. One of the biggest surprises that I found and, um, that I showed to some of my coworkers that I work with before I went to California was that it has a, a curves layer mm-hmm. in it uh, and in the settings that you can use to
2: yeah, to adjust the images, right?
5: To adjust, but not to adjust the images in post, but in live camera, I see. You can use it right to to change the what uh, I'm guessing whatever the plane is uh, of, of your of your photo that you're about to take which was a big surprise to me. And I, I and I work with people who's been um, doing um, photography for over 20 years and that was even something new to them. Um, so that, that's definitely a feature I, I would not want anybody else to pass on.
2: All right. Well, sounds good. Um, anything else you want to throw in there? I mean, when any plans for using it, any, I mean, will you incorporate it into some of your work as your second camera or, uh, do you find, do you think that, the canon going to get sold anytime too soon or, <laughs> uh, what's the future looking like
5: uh, most most definitely I feel like I'm going to be able to um, add it into to my workflow really what I want to try it with is with the 4K uh, video mm-hmm. although mm-hmm. it does have the micro four thirds but that is actually something that's been like a rave in the, uh, the film community so um, that's definitely something the next venture mm-hmm. not, like, have, you, have
2: you shot much video with it so far
5: haven't shot much video and mm-hmm. I, I've tried the video and was pretty impressed with it. Just um, due to you being able to change the aspect um, ratios in it to get the uh, the black lines, mm-hmm. or to at least get the black line references in it, and the picture just looks really good as well okay. in it. Um, so that that's just the next
2: venture. Fantastic. Well, it
0: sounds like you're having a great time with your new camera. We're really happy for you. And uh, Stanley, thank you so much for uh, being a bH and h customer. And thank you so much for joining us today.
5: Thank you, guys. It was a true blessing, man, just to meet you guys and have this opportunity. And yeah.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Enjoy the heck out of your new camera and new lenses. And back here in the studio, thank you, Corey, for joining us again. And thank you to John mm-hmm. for Thanks joining for us again. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great talking about the show. And again, for those of you who have, are not familiar with what is photography, just go to B&H Explorer, uh, Google what is photography, B&H, and you'll be able to find a bunch of great stuff. Great comments, great photography. Uh, and for now... If you are not a subscriber to the BH Photography Podcast, keep this in mind. The best things in life are free, and the BH Photography Podcast is absolutely free. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, and you can always find us on the BH Explorer website. For now, on behalf of Corey, Jason, John, and myself, thank you so much for tuning in today.